Welcome to the new episode of Starting Your Own Coffee Shop. I am Jerry Stolani, the founder of Cafe Chocolat in downtown DC. I had no experience when I started four years ago. And if I can do it, you can too. Tune in. The podcast finally has a home on the web at ristrettotime.com. R-I-S... T-R-E-T-T-O time, T-I-M-E dot com. Sorry, stratotime.com. And uh, the reason why I decided to set up a website is because I wanted to make sure that I gave you, the listeners, a way to provide feedback, to communicate back, uh, and also to let me know if there are things you want me to talk about, there are questions that you have, uh, issues that you're running into, and want a second opinion. Um, I would gladly love to uh, to help out. So it's also a good way to uh, provide feedback. So again, ristretotime.com. Welcome to the part two of my interview with Travis Vaughn of uh, La Colombe. Uh, this is uh, the second half of my hour and a half interview with uh, Travis. Uh, the first half is on episode six. So if you haven't heard that part, I would recommend that you do before you jump in the middle uh, of uh, the discussion that we have here on, on uh, this episode. Um, here we talk a little bit more about the selection process that goes into selecting the right supplier or customer and also industry trends and um, what we think consumers are looking for in a coffee or chocolate experience. So without further ado, I will uh, start right where we left off on episode six. One last thing I'd like to point out about this specific episode is uh, I have to apologize in advance about the recording quality, uh, not so much in clarity, uh, but somehow in the interview, um, it, it looks like uh, the the further you get into the episode, it looks like uh, Travis's voice and my voice kind of overlap and we interrupt each other but what's happening is for some reason his responses are sped up so they kind of overlap my questions and there's periods of uh, silence in between where the actual word should have been so um, it's you can you know the, the conversation can still been be heard very very well but it's it could be a little distracting because it looks like him and I are constantly interrupting each other anticipating each other's answers and, and that really wasn't the case um, in the recording it's just somehow the longer I guess the interview is the the more you get this lag that happens in in um, in the conversation so um, we'll we'll keep that in mind in further in future episodes. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Now, on the flip side, um, what should you know coffee shops look for in supplier? I think um, I think having okay. So I think starting from the most technical, right? Um, I think one of the biggest things is shipping. Um, shipping needs to be consistent. I think having to worry about, like, if I order coffee on Monday. That's true. That's uh, true. Well, at least in La Colombe's world, you order coffee on Monday, it comes on Tuesday. That's the end of that transaction. Um, ordering coffee on Monday, 
and it not coming yeah. until Friday sometimes or next Tuesday sometimes. That's unacceptable when it comes to running a business. Yeah. Um, having to pay thirty five dollars yeah. for shipping every time you order adds up over the year, especially if you're higher volume. Um, so those are the two things. I think shipping is extremely sure. important. Uh, of course, that includes like packaging, making sure you get your packages and they're not being spilt all over the bag because it happens in shipping. Um, the other thing that I actually didn't appreciate until I came to be with La Cologne is an account manager or like a liaison between you, the, the guest or the cafe shop owner and the company at large. Um, because when I was a baby barista, like we did everything in house. If the machine broke down, we fixed it. Uh, if we didn't know how to, we Googled it and YouTube did, then we fixed it. Um, we did everything in house. So there was never really a connection for most of us to like the roaster side because we didn't need it. We, we had all the skills we needed in-house we did all the training in-house because they're like family-owned businesses um but now when i'm in more of a wholesale environment yeah. where we're selling to hotels and restaurants and convention centers and airlines and these bigger businesses they need a person that they feel comfortable calling or texting um, so like one, one thing I tell them, all my accounts, like I come with the price of the coffee. So as long as you're buying coffee from La Cologne, uh, feel free to call me if something's going on, text me if something's happening, uh, call me when you have new staff, we'll come in and get them trained up. If something sounds funny or smells funny, call me and we'll get it worked out. I think that's, that's a value yeah. that if yeah. you were paying for yeah. it, like a technician, for instance, if you had to pay a technician every time you called them, that's going to add up over the year. Um, so if you had to pay for three, four hour coffee yeah. trainings every time you got a new staff member, that's thousands of dollars out the door. Um, and I think that's of a huge value for, for yeah. all of our accounts, having that liaison um, that can just be your coffee person. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I would, uh, especially the the uh, ability to have uh, a tech person come service your machines, and yeah. um, you guys' tech guy was the best. Uh, yeah. And he was always there, you know, at any time of the day. Uh, so to me, that that just that comfort um, was you couldn't put a price on it and i obviously delivery was huge because you know you put in the order by 2 p.m or 3 p.m or if you were late you could just as long as it was kind of like on the cutoff point you could always like call the number and yeah. they would take care of you they would do whatever they could so that, that was great um what do you one thing i didn't well not that i didn't like because it had nothing to do with me but one thing i wish la Colombe did was um focus more on their supplier right so uh, not supplier sorry uh their customers yeah man i remember i like remember me, you sent right? that like tweet. i got a phone call uh it. and i should, should i tell this story <laughs> oh yeah I mean, it was it was it, you sent the tweet to todd company and email. i was like First, yeah because i tell tell your listeners what the tweet said Oh, that's great. I'd never heard about this because I just said, 
I just, the only thing was, you know, when you, here's, here was my thing. I mean, we could, we could go back to this. I think whoever's listening doesn't know the background information, but when you look at the catalog for operators, I mean, think about all the branding opportunities that, that La Colombe has to, to really be at operators. And really all you got was, you know, a sign and you had to pay for 70 bucks for it. Yeah. And you had to pay 150 bucks for another sticker somewhere. And I'm thinking like, man, you should give this stuff for free and you should give all kinds of stuff for free. I mean, if you had La Colombe shirts, ship them over here, you know, and, and, and I would get 10% of the sales or transaction or whatever it is, because I'm selling your coffee. People are coming to my shop for your coffee. Yeah. This is if you are into yeah. branding, this is it. Do it. And you see, you see now um, companies mm -hmm. doing that. There's an app called Slice uh, that does pizza. And look, look that up. I mean, now they're coming up with this model where they're going to all of these small operators, kind of like think of like the Cafe Chocolates of the world, but in the pizza world, right? And they're basically rebranding their entire mm -hmm. shop to look like a slice store right so so they're 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 you know which is kind of like a good thing and a bad thing but it's great for slice out um where they're they're helping these guys make more money but they're basically so so one morning advertising rent free and you hop on twitter and tweet founder and ceo what <laughs> do you remember <laughs> i i don't remember what i tweeted i just said i saw something about you know how they're doing he he wrote something about how they're doing something amazing for customers and i yeah. just wrote back i was like i wish you could yeah. do the same for your operators I, Im immediately like, after you know that. and that's it that, the, that just that the todd there, carmichael you know? the owner of founder of Lock Alone, um, sent an email to the entire sales team. So there's like 50 people on this email. And I, it's part of my language. Um, it literally just said, whose fucking I, I hope I didn't get you in trouble. This? And then it had a screenshot of the tweet. <laughs> so of course, like, you, you know me in the morning, I'd be working, like I fill my days until about 11. And that's when I take a break to check emails and do these other things. So I got to it hours late. Right. So I open it up and I see no one had responded to it. Usually people hop in these little uh, company wide threads that we do with jokes or whatever. No one responded to it. So I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, Jared. <laughs> I hit him. I'm like, Todd, uh, this is mine. I'm on it. Not even four minutes later, I get a phone call. Um from all my bosses, like on this one call. And it's like, Travis, what is going on with this account? I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm on my way over there now. I'm gonna talk to him. I think he just wants like some new signage and stuff. And this is again, again, this is at my beginning with Lock Alarm. It couldn't have, I don't know, this is probably like eight months in maybe. Um, so I don't have any answers. None of these people really know me. Um, I am not used to working for a brand at this point. I just know coffee. Right. Um, so I'm right. like, I don't know, man. He wants like signs or something. Right. I don't I don't know what he's talking about. And they're like, you need to get on top of this now. Um, 
Yeah, man, that was a, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't like you're in trouble or anything, <laughs> but that was the first time I think I'd ever talked to Todd. Um, that was one of the first times I'd ever really talked on the phone to any of my bosses. Cause again, they all operate out of Philly and New York, whereas I'm in DC. Um, yeah, thanks. Hey, where, where's the thank you? I got, got on their radar the and then. <laughs> the. You know, the, the other thing where I think it was a miss opportunity from for, for well, miss, whatever, but I, I thought it was a miss for Dabalom was when uh, when we did that um, that thing about refugees, right? When we started just giving out free coffee. And, and it was mm. everywhere, man. Like the Times of India was writing about it. It was nuts, right? Um, it was like The Guardian had it on their front page and you know we had a tv station from norway yeah, I remember that going you guys are front news in norway <laughs> you know and um and and i and i did the same thing i just basically tweeted up because like the washington post wrote an article on it i tweeted up todd and i was like you know we're giving out free coffee here and we're just like this little guy who can't afford to do any of this stuff but it's all like if you look at the pictures your brand is on these pictures and and he wrote back and he's like, oh I, yeah, I love you guys. And that was it. I was like, I mean, it costs you nothing, right? Like, I mean, five hundred dollars yeah. for me, it's a week's worth of employee pay for you. It's nothing. It's just I'll, marketing. I'll, I'll shoulder the brunt um, on that one because um, um, that was anyway, probably I mean, is not paying close enough to attention to what was going on. Because um, making coffee fall off a truck is kind of my specialty at this point. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll take the L on that one, but but I do agree with you. I think there's a, there. I think there. No, it's it's a, in it in the right. becoming almost a household name, right? Where it's like you say Folgers, you can picture it, you can smell it, right? Um, in the pursuit of becoming right that, just at a drastically higher quality. At the pursuit of becoming like America's coffee, I think we have missed opportunities that allow us to show what our our like moral values are. Um, And I don't know; it's it's a give or take. Again, like I I had a conversation with one of the young ladies in our marketing department, and she was telling me about this call they had about what they planned on doing for like um, Black History Month in February coming up. And in my head, I'm picturing a room full of people, like 20 people sitting at a table bouncing ideas off each other. And in actuality, it's three people on a phone call. Um, so I do think we have we have this massive footprint that makes it feel like there's this huge corporation behind it. But in actuality, we have just like a couple people that are hopping on and off calls, making these decisions fairly quickly. And I think things can fall through the cracks um, pretty easily, pretty easily. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's the 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 family business, you know, kind of issue, right? Both both are so both founders are so involved in the company and I think they run it like a family business. Um, what do you think is the future of uh, La Colombe? Like, what, what do you think is going to happen, um, you know, 15, I 20 think, years from now? I think 
Lock Alone will continue that pursuit to be America's coffee. Um, and, I, and I honestly think we're almost, they're almost there. Um, you can find our, you can find the, the yeah. latte cans and the cold brew cans and just about any place that has refrigeration at this point, yeah. which it's, it's, a, it's a give and a take because it's a tightrope yeah. Because like the, the draft lattes are just so out there now that people don't really think about it anymore. But that creating that thing took years of research and innovation and creating the can itself and the beverage that goes in it to a point where like no one else in the world legally can produce a product like that, right? Like Todd has it patented. Um, that belongs to him. But we see it so much that that piece of it, that it's something magnificent, right? It kind of falls to the wayside because you don't think about it because you see it so much. Well, so I think I think we're, we'll continue on the path to kind of yeah. get in everybody's household, be on everybody's walk home, but maintain a quality level that's above any of the coffee cans or boxes sitting next to us on the shelf. Yeah, I mm -hmm. think uh, the partnership with Chobani or, or, you know, Chobani kind of owning some part of the business is, um, is definitely mm -hmm. huge because they, you get the distribution through them, you know, to all of these, uh, to yeah. the refrigerators. You know, one one the, thing I want to add in stores, though, that's, the, that's that kind of ties into um, like the, the 10 year plan for La Colombe, right? I've had conversations with our, La Colombe split into, um, as far as coffee beans are concerned, it's split into two different halves. There's the Cornerstone, which is like the Nizza, the Monaco, the Corsica, the dark roasted, medium right. roasted things that everyone's familiar with. And then we have the workshop coffees, which are single origin, light or lighter roasted coffees um, that are like more of my alley, like the things that I like to drink in my free time. I've had conversations with our roaster team, right. or like the other people in our coffee that, in our company that experience coffee the way I do. Um, and we kind of all agree that if, if our company doesn't maintain a certain amount of people that are in that 2% of coffee drinkers that drink the specialty, funky, weird yeah. produce. They want to know the farmers. They want to know all these things. If we don't keep enough of those people, then our yeah. company will just become production workers and marketing specialists, right? Like we have to keep, even if it's a small group of people, like we have to keep people whose life is coffee, where it comes from, how it gets to us, how we serve it, or else everything around it will kind of fall apart. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you definitely need to have those opinion leaders um, on your side. Right. And, you know, the companies that don't innovate are not leaders anymore, right? Um, yeah, I I mean, listen, I, I love the brand I, I think I you know even the the coffee um the 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 shops that you guys have I think they're they're fantastic the way they're set up I actually even <laughs> at first I found the fact that there was no menu annoying um but then but then you know I kind of um started liking it um just because they kind of almost makes 
if you're new to it, right, then you're like, well, all these people here must be regular, regulars. Right, right. What the hell's wrong with me that I didn't know about this place before, right? <laughs> why, why am I out looking in? Uh, no, it's great. That's, um, I, I would have, um, I think I, um, that's, the, I, I use the La Colombe shop to do my first interviews. It's a, uh, it's a cool space. When and I think we have to, to interview. That's right. Shoot. I don't want to get this yeah. wrong. I feel like we have 20 something cafes across the country now. Um, and they all look, they're like, no two of them look the yeah. same aesthetically right but the energy and the vibe you get is the same across right. the board right so just like what you were saying like you wanted to keep the environment the same yeah. you wanted to keep it predictable for people so they know what to expect when they come even though the latte might be a little different than the one you got yesterday um, yeah the vibe is the same i think lock did a, an amazing job at keeping the vibe the same across all of our cafes even though no two of them look the same yeah yeah cool man this is um uh, I, I know i kept you a lot longer yeah man i don't get the i don't get to talk coffee much is, with people I, we it's like the very talking coffee <laughs> is a I very could, small right? part of my uh, job these days <laughs> yeah isn't that funny um what uh do you, is there anything you wanted to know from oh from, let's from see. the cafe chocolate um, days yeah, I was doing uh, so. Yeah, I, I see you're trying uh, to do some stuff. I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago, trying to. What I've been working on is doing coffee tasting experiences. Um, so, like, I'll put together a little sample coffee kit. I'll put in the raw ingredients from all the tasting notes. So, you buy a box of coffee, it'll say raspberry pie, dark chocolate, and whatever, right? Like, I'm getting the raw ingredients, packaging them, sending them right. to people so they can they can kind of prime their palate and then make those connections in the coffee that they're drinking. So I hit you up trying to figure out like, what's the like rawest dark chocolate type things I can find. I think yeah. my number one question, um, cause one, I think to preface it, everybody that traveled to DC at some point I would bring to cafe chocolate, chocolate, cause it was, it was the only thing in the city like it. Um, and it, it's the best hot chocolate you could get. I mean, it's not yeah, even, thanks, it's, I don't know. It's like comparing Jay-Z to other rappers. Like it's a different thing happening, right? Like this isn't, this isn't like a hot chocolate. This is that's something huge. else. You can yeah, get a hot huge. chocolate from Starbucks or something. This is something else. Um, so I think my main question is, would be what, comes next for cafe chocolat or even that concept now that it's um unwillingly or inadvertently been kind of pulled out the city like we have this chocolate sized hole in the city now so here's you know that's a great question and i think this is a question for a whole new episode and maybe we'll just do one for for just just DC and the chocolate scene in DC. So here's the thing. I, I don't think people, people realize that, you know, when you think of DC, you know, they call it the chocolate city, right. For, for one obvious reason, but the, the other unobvious reason was that it was truly like a chocolate city. There are a lot of brands 
uh, that are nationally recognized that mm. come out from this area. You know, think of like Undone Chocolate. You got Sherbet Nango, who's won all kinds of international awards. You're a Harper Markow, you know, who's kind of going through some stuff now. Um, uh, Potomac uh, Chocolate, that that's pretty huge in the kind of like the specialty chocolate scene. You had uh, you had a couple of chocolate cafes that specifically focused on chocolate. Um, and then Fleurier, which is in, uh, in Alexandria. So there's a lot of like chocolate makers in DC. Um, but it's just, they, you know, they're small. They don't really know how to do a lot of marketing. Um, and, and, and what's happening the, when I started opening up the shop, all right. of these brands were disappearing. Like undone has been gone for three years. Right. Um, you have, uh, Potomac Chocolate is kind of trying to do their thing. You have Harper Macau, who had a huge plant uh, right next to DC Brow. Um, mm -hmm. Was it DC Brewery or DC uh, DC Brow? That's right. Right next to DC Brow, they had the next huge plant, and and then they had a small shop, and now I think they're I don't know where they're even working out of anymore. Shokutanango is, I think, shutting down. So it's it's really like a dying chocolate scene um, in the city. And I think with uh, Café Chocolat just kind of going away, I think there was like the, the nail in the coffin, uh, the last nail in the coffin. I, you know, I loved what we did there. Um, and and obviously with, this, with the problem, and I think, and I wanted to kind of talk about this as well, because I think you're getting into this area as well. Um, the, the problem with chocolate is that, and coffee in a way, you know, if you, if you want to do kind of like the, the specialty coffee that we talk about, these are experiential products. And it's really, really hard to transition, you know, from being a place, uh, you know, a product where you have to sit take your time, have somebody walk you through it, yeah. explain it to you. And, and there's almost mm -hmm. like a ceremony around it. Like think of like ceremonial tea in Japan, you know? Um, and chocolate is the same way. Tasting, like doing coffee tastings or chocolate yeah. tastings are the same way. I mean, COVID just killed that, right? And, and my feeling is that, you know, sure, the vaccine is here, but what's happening yeah. is, it's changed the purchasing behavior forever. Um, now, what it's done is, I think the next thing is going to be there's going to there's there's this division that's happened, right? Mm -hmm. Products that don't that are not experiential products, you know, that you can buy online or or you know the Amazons of the world, and there's going to be like this small, very very experiential type of businesses. But that do it right, yeah. and they they put a lot of marketing behind it to let people know that they're there. Right? There's going to there's there's going to be this craving because people have been stuck home for so long for this experiential for for experiential stuff that they can do very close to home where they don't need to travel, they don't need to to do anything to to avoid kind of this this COVID situation. And uh, I think I would love to be able to to recreate this again, I'll probably do it differently. Um, I mean, I would still kind of keep the core there, but do something different with the menu. Um, 
But it's tough, man, because it's, you know, like the hot chocolate. You have to sit there. And what we did is we made stuff right in front of you. That was, that's really kind of, there, there was two parts to the secret recipe, right? Like yeah, one the is the ingredients yeah. and the other one is the fact that we put on a show. We came in. Yeah, you you came in, you saw it, the DC s'more. I mean, it was just like people people were like, right. every time we try right. to do it, they're like, hold on a second. I know you're going to start burning it right now. Let me pull my camera out, you know? And um, and when you think about it, right, like I go to places and eat and I see some desserts that blow me away. I'm like, there's no way we could even do this at our location. But it didn't matter. Um, it didn't matter. People just, it didn't matter that I was, was, really very simple i mean there was a line i would i started with a dc s'more i could pre-sell yeah i don't know 500 yeah. worth of dc s'mores in like 10 minutes over the phone i'll put an instagram post and say i'm selling 20 dc s'mores tomorrow you know reserve now right. in 10 minutes all of them would be kind of reserved for whatever price it was um and people just came by to pick it up the next day it was it was nuts. It was you know, um, so I would love to to do something uh, like this again, uh, but I think I would have to tweak some things because at the end of the day, um, we would get a lot of resistance. And here's the issue: people don't, and I've talked about this in another episode. They 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 don't know much about pricing. Right. They, you can, if you give somebody, you know, a bag of coffee, right. right and be like, yeah, how much do you think right. this costs? If they have nothing next to it to compare, they have no idea how much that bag of coffee costs. They'll throw in a number. It could be way off. Right. Um, but when you have these experiential products, right, that we were selling for like close to seven bucks and right next to it, it's a two dollars and 70 cents espresso double shot of espresso that was the measuring point and they're like wait why is that three times more than your coffee and we we're always trying to argue with the fact that listen we don't make any money out of these chocolate products like just the coffee alone we're, we're giving you literally a bar of chocolate plus labor right. plus ingredients plus whatever for under seven bucks and you have a bar of chocolate in the shelf for $13. Somehow my $7 hot right. chocolate is really expensive, but that $13 bar on shelf, it's okay. You know? And we we always kind of ran into into this issue of trying to explain to people, you know, quality. Um, and that that kind of got really tired. Um, and I will tell you, you know, I, I started at some point and I had to stop myself. I started fighting with people on, on, on Yelp reviews because they would, you know, the, the review would be a five-star review about how it was amazing or like a four-star review about how it was the most amazing experience they had. But the negative was that it was an expensive place. And I'm thinking like, how is this expensive? What's, exp you know, it's like, you, you're okay with right. paying, I don't know, eight bucks for, for a caramel macchiato at Starbucks. But you come to a shop like mine where we where we give you real, absolutely some of the best chocolate you've ever had for less than six bucks. And somehow ours is expensive. Like, you know, it 
it was frustrating to me because it, it really does not let you yeah. innovate. How can yeah, you innovate five bucks, when then there's not everybody's a whole lot putting a cap on how much you can charge? Wow. I mean, you know, like I wanted to me, everything that I did was was in my own way art, you know, like I, I love to kind of make what I made and gave it to you right across the bar. And that's why that bar was designed that way, where mm -hmm. I handed it to you really mm -hmm. like a cup of, you know, ceremonial tea with my both mm -hmm. hands. And you tried and we looked at each other. And we said, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever had. Right. But then but then it can't be more than five dollars. It has to be the best thing I've ever had, but you can't charge me more than five for it. And it was just, you know, it, it's, it's no, tough. No and it makes it even tough. And I had another, cause I, I'm going on a tangent. I know I'm, I, I'm, I've gone uh, one other thing. And this is probably another thing that we should probably do a, an episode about that. I have um, that's really kind of like a pet peeve of mine. And, and I was even on the, mm -hmm. uh, the Namdi Kongja show, uh, uh, uh Kamja Nanti show um, on on NPR talking about this because um, tipping tipping baristas right think about it this way if you go to a bar to like a, a bar to buy an alcoholic beverage right and you get a, a bottle of beer that usually you get a six pack for eight bucks they're selling you a bottle for eight bucks, right? And the guy's just literally just popping the cap open and then you automatically give them 20% tip or if it's seven bucks, you give them $10 bill and you don't ask for $3 back, right? Like you just kind of like automatically give them, you assume every time you go in, every order, every drink you're right. going to get, you're going to give that bar the rest of the money or at least 15, 20% of it, right? But when you go to a coffee shop People just do not tip baristas. But think yeah, about the skill and the time that it takes to do the perfect latte or the perfect cappuccino or even the perfect espresso, you know, like the knowledge that it takes and how long it takes. Right. Like, I mean, it, it's a 25 second right. shot. So the fastest you could crank out is one drink in 40 seconds. Right. So. But still, you're you're working like a madman behind the bar to get that drink in 40 seconds. Your 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 eyes and your hands and your brain is on five things at the same time, just so you could be able to to run the coffee and 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 yeah. your frothing and, you and it's also it right it's also interesting else. if you compare um, the tipping to like a restaurant. You, you go know? in a restaurant, you have great service, you tip well. Or you go, you have bad service, you don't tip well. Maybe you don't tip at all. If you're sitting at a bar. You order an old fashioned, the bartender makes it, you watch the whole thing, he brings it to you, he brings you a little book with the check in it, you pay and you tip them. Whereas in a coffee shop, if I'm at the, if I'm the barista at the espresso machine, Absolutely. I've got another person working at the counter, um, that person's paid and tipped before they recognize that I'm trying to make this latte the best one I've made all day. Like every drink I'm making, I'm trying to, correct any of mishaps from the last one but they don't see that and they've already paid and tipped whatever change was left on their on their bill before they even get to me so it's almost a backwards thing that's happening um and i think we get we as an industry there's something we gotta do to counterbalance it 
So I think in, in quarantine time, not to, not to run off on the tipping thing, but in quarantine times, um, La Colombe raised their tip. Yeah. It was mandatory and it was like 30% or something like that. So now all of a sudden people are coming to get their oat milk lattes and it's nine, $10. And they're like, whoa, what's happening? And they're like, well, it's a national pandemic. Everyone should be home. Our baristas are choosing because they could be getting unemployment. They're getting paid like a thousand dollars a week. They're choosing to come to work, make less money so that they could serve you your coffee. Yeah, you should tip them well. And I think we had they got so much pushback like across the country. Absolutely. I think maybe cafe a couple cafes in LA and a couple in DC were the only ones that didn't get major pushback. But all the other cafes across the country got so much vitriol from it that we had to stop doing it. Um, I gotta tell you, um, after I after I was on on that radio show uh, talking about this, maybe like a day or two after, um, I get I get back to the shop, and uh, Derek says, "Hey man, I have this like the strangest thing. Uh, this guy came in who'd never been to the shop before, ordered like a cappuccino or whatever." And gave me the money, exact change, and then waited for me to kind of be free so I could just kind of pay attention to him and said, um, I just want to let you know that I never tip at a coffee shop and then walked out. It was like, like literally he just, he just came in just to make a point, ordered a coffee, uh, a cappuccino or a latte, and then just walked away. Right. But before walking away, made a point to tell the barista that he just philosophically doesn't dip at a coffee shop which which i mean <laughs> it must be it must be something that i just don't understand i mean for you to come in specifically to, to go to a coffee shop that's raising the issue um and just to prove a point yeah man that's a coffee that's, shop <laughs> you know that's a um, that's like borderline yeah i don't um, get it i, I don't get it like behavior. I, you know like you came in here just so i can work for you so you could tell me that I mean, I mean it's I don't know man it's whereas like I operate on the opposite end of the spectrum and me and my wife have had conversations even borderline arguments about it whereas um regardless of the kind of service I get I'm tipping you 30 percent right like I don't really care if it was if it was a horrible evening and you were we got a table that was shaky and all our chairs are uneven and the server came over I'm gonna tip you 30 percent with the hopes that you see it, recognize that you were being a jerk the entire time, and maybe the next table has a better experience. You know what I mean? Because I mean, the alternative, especially for me, the alternative, which is why yeah. I yeah. even, I had a couple years where I would tip before we ordered anything. You know what I mean? Like I, I kind of have a, Bill, this bill is going to be around 80 bucks. I'm going to hand the server $20 as soon as we sit down because what I kind of started to experience is like, I'm, I'm a black guy. My wife's Dominican. We go to a restaurant. They assume for whatever reason that we're not going to tip. And now we have that experience. So I have to overly tip to let you know that, hey, man, you could have made this awesome. I would have tipped you anyway. So now hopefully the next black couple that comes in you don't have those preconceived notions, right? You uh, you kind of you kind of remind me of uh, 
of uh, of uh, something I read. I think uh, Tanisi Coates. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, either we were eight years in power. One of his latest books was yeah, basically man. specific, making the just point because. that 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 if you're black, you have to try twice as hard just because, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, I see your point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, this, listen, uh, <laughs> this has been a, a great discussion. I'm actually, I'm looking at the time. I think I'm going to have to split this into two parts and do like podcast one and podcast two. Cause I, I, I think the first part talks about, you know, just generally the, the supply chain stuff of coffee and the second one gets into more, <laughs> more details uh, about, you know, what this industry is all about. Um, and I think it would be kind of fun to maybe, you know, at some point later on to kind of talk about, you know, uh, I think your journey into trying to start your own coffee roastery and what that takes and, and you know, how that's going. Because I think that would be a, a, a really fun study on what what it is to to kind of dive into this world of of coffee and trying to make a career out of it. Um, yeah. I don't think people I realize. Agree. That I don't think enough people realize. <laughs> you know, it, I know for a fact yeah, you can make a career out of coffee, right? Um, so yeah, I would love to do that. I mean, this has been a pleasure yeah. sitting and talking about coffee and the industry around it. So I'm more than happy to come back anytime. I'm I'm invited, man. Well, here we are at the end of this episode. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, Keep an eye out for future episodes. We'll be bringing in uh, some people with some deep knowledge in various areas of running and owning a coffee shop or a coffee business. Um, So we'll give you guys chances to ask questions um, or even get live on one of our episodes as well. So until then, have a good rest of the day.